the owner of the LA Kings and Crypto.com Arena has had a massive revenue year. Plus, MLB is facing questions about its new playoff format. It's Wednesday, October 11th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Major League Baseball is following up a hugely successful regular season with a somewhat rocky postseason. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports Newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome, Eric. Hello. So let's actually start with the TV ratings here. Um, Obviously, too soon to judge the entire postseason, but what do we know about viewership so far? So the wild card round obviously came and went four two game sweeps, uh, sort of over before we even knew it really began. Uh, you know, really fairly low on drama or intrigue, um, and collectively those games were down by eighteen percent from a year ago uh, when this new twelve uh, team playoff format was first introduced. And there are a lot of reasons for that, uh, but prime among them. Again, the sweeps, but uh, these were also games played in the middle of the week, uh, you know, a s- number of uh, midweek day games uh, spread across the Tuesday and a Thursday, whereas last year we had games primarily on a Friday and a Saturday and then a one winner take all game on a Sunday primetime, which helped the, uh, the overall average last year. And so you take all those factors into account uh, a little bit of a down uh, year this year for that initial wild card round. Yeah, I may be missing something here, but it feels like an unforced error to have all these games start either at like 3 p.m. Eastern on weekdays. It doesn't feel like where you put a game if you want people to tune in. So it sort of backed in that way in terms of the league traditionally has ended the regular season on a Sunday, and they've had a nice tradition where all of the games on that final regular season day are 3 o'clock Eastern on a Sunday and so you have a lot of sort of standings watching, pennant watching, division watching uh, in terms of, you know, who's going to get slotted in which seed. And so then the calendar kind of unfolds from there where you have a, a travel off day on the Monday, play starts on a Tuesday, and then you sort of unfold. And and so that's been kind of how it's rolled out, uh, again, sort of starting from that Sunday conclusion to a regular season. Yeah, I mean, because it makes enough sense when you lay it out that way, but I have but to, to do it differently, you would have to end the regular season on a different day, which right. theoretically could happen. But that's not, again, the way it's going to lay out ne- next year either. Right. And then you don't want this like awkward, say, four day layoff to get to the next weekend right. just to try to get you know a number of fans. So, yeah, a little bit tricky there. All right. Let's get to the format issues. So um, my my Twitter feed, well, one of the issues that has been dominating it is this issue of um uh, the teams that got buys, so got to skip the wild card round, go directly into the division series, haven't been doing so well. Uh, Orioles and Dodgers yep. each lost their first two games at home. Uh, the other two buy teams, the Braves and Astros, split their their two game series or yeah, the first two games. Um, it's a lot of people are saying the buy might actually be hurting these teams. Um, wh- what are you seeing here? Yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult thing because uh, really ever since baseball went to divisional play in 1969, there's been some sort of version of an October tournament. For many years, of course, it was just four teams with uh, uh, 
you know, the LCS and then moving into uh, uh, the World Series. Then we had the advent of the wild card and we've had continued expansions over the last 25 plus years. And now, and we're, as I said, we're in the second year of this 12 team format. And yeah, it's a difficult thing because, uh, you know, those top two teams in each league, you know, they had a five day uh, layoff, uh, you know, played again uh, on a Sunday, as I said, in the regular season, didn't uh, fire up again until Saturday um, of the same week. And out that's the longest layoff that these teams will have since starting spring training in February. And when you have, you know, the day to day rhythms of baseball that are so fundamental to how the sport is played, that's a big, big change. And so really the only way I could see getting around this is going even bigger and having something like a 16 team playoff uh, where nobody has a layoff and you start right away. But then that creates its own challenges of how far in November you want to go. And does that devalue the regular season? And this 12 team format tried to kind of split the difference there. Um, but as, as you point out, there's, there's a lot of concern out there that this isn't the right answer. So we may see tweaks along the way that those are things that will be collectively bargained between the league and the and the players association. But, you know, right now, and again, based that, you know, we've got uh, two teams and two old hole. The other two have lost home field advantage already. Uh, you know, a lot of concern and a lot of discussion around this topic. Yeah. And I guess I should point out that we're recording this before this before Tuesday evening's game. So the Orioles may already be out by the time people are listening to this or right. they, they may um, <laughs> they have started their comeback. Um, what kind of bothers me personally about this whole discussion is that I actually feel like baseball kind of got it right in terms of setting up the the playoff structure for incentives to kind of exist throughout the playoff bracket where you want to be in the top two teams so you get that buy assuming I mean, I still think and the there buy is something you actually want. Division, yeah. Right, yeah. And it allows them to have a lot of teams in the playoffs, which they want, because, you know, it makes more more teams, more markets interested up to the end of the regular season. Enhances well, the value of the regular season. Right, yeah. And it's still something of a meritocracy in the playoffs, whereas I felt like the one-game wild card uh, of a few years ago was very exciting, but also it was just a coin flip. You know, it's like who's who had the better day on that one day? And the best of three is only so much you know, less random, but it's, um, it feels a little less random. It feels like those, those teams won their series. Um, so yeah, I don't, this, this highlights the particularity of baseball that in any other sport, when you're having this kind of discussion, rest is deemed to be good. And particularly in football, when you got a collision sport like that, but as I said before, these guys in baseball, they're used to playing every day and going to the ballpark with very few off days all the way from late February, all the way into October. And this is a situation where you make the unique argument that rest can be bad. Right. Yeah. And football is a, you know, a good comparison. You know, this is not my own research, but apparently, you know, by teams, you know, they lost, you know, somewhat frequently in the early days of football's buy system for the playoffs. And people were having these same discussions is the buy bad. Um, Now I think, you know, no one would argue that you you don't want to buy in football. I still think data is clear on the NFL side. Right. Yeah. And players are so banged up that, you know, that extra week really helps. Uh, They need it in the regular season and they're already only used to playing once a week in baseball is much more of a rhythm sport where, yeah, you play every day. Um, 
I, you know, obviously, I still think, you know, the buy has to be good. You want to skip that series. But yeah, you, you wonder if there'll be adjustments. I'll throw out one more for format idea. This is from the Korean Baseball League. I learned about it from Travis Sachik over at the score where and you would replace the wild card with a, um, a two game series. The way that works is uh, or maybe you would replace the buy, I guess, with a two game series. The way that works is um, the the higher seeded team only has to win one game. They win that game, they move on. If the they lose the first game, they play another game, and that's the elimination game. Uh, maybe just that same day, make it a double header. Could be a lot of fun. It would be more chaos. I'm sure people would find valid reasons to complain about that too. But it still feels like we're in the tinkering stage here. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing that if you sort of look back to where we were back in the 80s or 90s and, uh, you know, oh, my God, a wild card and you right. know, some things that we now sort of take for granted across the sport, you know, we're, we've been around long enough to know that there was a time when these were thought to be, you know, completely unfounded ideas. And so things do change over time. And so uh, I've sort of learned over the years to sort of not necessarily get too attached to anything. And, you know, a good idea will be a good idea that will rise to the surface and you may be onto something here. Right. And it's just one of those things where to get a, a real data set to evaluate, we might need close to a decade, uh, but we don't have a decade. We've got well, a couple years. But you do in the minor leagues. And right. that's a, and all the great things that we talked about this year with the rule changes and the pace of play and all that, that was road tested over thousands and thousands of games in the minor leagues. So this kind of thing that you're talking about, and you know who knows if it's a good idea, uh, but this is the kind of thing that maybe you try it at triple a or double a see how it goes see how those teams respond see how the fans in those local markets respond and this is a great thing about having uh, 120 affiliated minor league teams that you can do a lot of things before you've got to sort of test it out at the big league level absolutely all right eric fisher thanks so much for joining us always a pleasure shaquille o'neal turned some heads by stating his desire to bring the nba to las vegas Quote, I would like to have my own group. I know Vegas hasn't been awarded an NBA team yet, but if they ever get to a point where they are awarded a team, I would like to be part of that. I don't want to partner up with nobody. I want it all for myself. That last part seems to be directed at another player who has won championships with the Lakers and Heat, that being LeBron James, who was asked about his desire to own an NBA team in Las Vegas at a press conference on Monday. Uh, it just makes sense. Um, um, obviously, you have the Raiders here. The Knights here and the Aces here. You got F1 coming very soon. Sports is, is here. Seattle is seen as the most likely city to get an NBA franchise when the league expands, but Vegas isn't far behind. The Oakview Group, which has built numerous stadiums and arenas, including the Philly Citizens Bank Park and the Seattle Kraken's Climate Pledge Arena, has already sketched out plans for a 20,000-seat NBA arena as part of a $3 billion hotel and entertainment development. All that's missing is for the NBA to actually say that it wants a team there. There is one NFL player who can't stop making headlines off the field, and that, of course, is Kelsey. Jason Kelsey. The documentary focused on the Eagle Center is now Amazon's most watched documentary ever, and he was part of a viral marketing campaign from Ryan Reynolds' marketing firm Maximum Effort, in which Jake from State Farm sat next to Kelsey's mom at an Eagles game and then walked through the tunnel with Jason after the game, mimicking his brother's much-discussed walk with Taylor Swift. I asked State Farm CMO Kristen Cook about the stunt. When, you know, Ryan Reynolds and the creative minds at Maximum Effort were looking for, you know, a cultural icon to capture this potentially viral moment, naturally, 
you think of State Farm, Jake from State Farm. Um, he was the perfect person um, with the perfect brand to join Mrs. Kelsey for the game. Um, certainly maximum effort pitched the concept to us and we were able to kind of in just 48 hours um, get our team together, align quickly. Um, I thought it was flawless execution. The results are kind of trickling in, um, you know, more than 2 billion impressions. And I can go on and on in terms of the business value of things. But at the same time, it's just the opportunity that we try to look for to, you know, meet these moments um, in culture. According to Adweek, searches for State Farm were 15 times greater than they were a week before. And the campaign had the impact of 30 standard primetime ads and 172 cable ads. NBC then replayed the moment, providing exposure for State Farm equivalent to 300 standard primetime ads or 1,758 cable spots. Maybe we should be talking less about the Taylor effect and more about the Jake effect. The Los Angeles Kings opened their season tonight at Crypto.com Arena against the Colorado Avalanche. I spoke to Nick Baker and Russell Silvers, the co-COOs of AEG, which owns the Kings, Crypto.com Arena, the LA Galaxy, and other entertainment properties, including Coachella, about the huge year they're having and how they're capitalizing on their market. That conversation is coming up next. Very excited to be joined now by the co-COOs of AEG Global Partnerships, Nick Baker and Russell Silvers. Uh, welcome, Nick. Thank you. And welcome, Russell. Thanks for having us. So AEG, uh, you know, you own the Kings, you own the LA Galaxy, uh, you own Crypto.com Arena, um, you're, you know, and also things like Coachella and, you know, you host other events. Um, I'm curious how sports fits into kind of the overall picture uh, so how, how are our games and other sporting events, how are they different from uh, something like uh, a concert or other live events for you guys? Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of similarities in live entertainment, which is what AEG is built upon. I think we're two things. We're a hardware company, uh, real estate all over the world that has arenas or, or music uh, clubs, um, even festivals. Um, and then there's the content, right? The sports teams that are playing there, or the music tour, or the music festivals. I think some differentiation would be, you know, around the festivals, for example, uh, those temporary setups that we have either in the desert of Palm Springs or around the, the world. The tours will uh, exist maybe for 30 or 60 dates, um, you know, and then kind of run off, whereas you have consistency around seasons and playoffs in sports, but they're I think there are more similarities than differences. And I know you guys um, made some have, are making some improvements to Crypto.com Arena to at least up the uh, possibilities around the sort of the luxury offerings. Uh, so I'm curious what goes into those decisions around, you know, making these upgrades, but also just what are you doing? Tell us about the, the various suites you're adding. You know, it's very exciting what we're doing here. The, uh, the last two off season, this upcoming off season as well, after the, uh, the, the Los Angeles Kings, Lakers and Clippers play here, but we have four tunnel suites and we have four terrace suites that are new to the offering for our premium seat holders. Um, these are um, very exclusive high end offerings that we're bringing in the, um, you look at the the tunnel suites. I mean, you are literally parking down where the athletes, where the artists are parking, uh, and walking into your suite that is has unbelievable views of whether it be a, a basketball game, a, a concert, or a or a hockey match. Same thing with the terrace suites. A great offering there as well on the main concourse. 
Uh, and we wanted to do this because we wanted to enhance the building. We wanted to enhance the feel for these premium uh, for these premium folks that are coming into the building that that have a lot of uh, offerings within Los Angeles, a lot of venues, a lot of competition here. So we wanted to up our ante and make sure that we were a destination that's first class and had something that was very unique that other venues around Los Angeles and the world really don't have. From a sponsor perspective, the Kings are coming off of a franchise record in sponsorship revenue. Um, I think as a, as a team and venue, uh, they're in the number two spot within the NHL, and that's heading into a really exciting year with the team on the ice. Uh, big expectations that we can take kind of that next step into the playoffs and compete for a Stanley Cup, which is very exciting. We've, we've started this season off even before our home opener uh, on October 11th. We'll have um, a New Jersey partner in Mercury Insurance for our home games. Blue Shield of California will be on our home helmet. Um, still have availability with our away jersey, but the health of the portfolio right now is as strong as it's ever been. Um, credit to our team and to the infrastructure. Um, but as we head into this season, I think we're really excited about um, the team and the business model behind it. So the year's not done, but you already have a, a record revenue year. Tell me about that and what's gone into it. Yeah, uh, we're super proud of the performance of our team. Um, this has been an incredible year. In fact, uh, just as uh, we finished Q3, we surpassed um, our record revenue of last year and have exceeded uh, north of $670 million that we've generated this year, which is a, a double-digit increase uh, year over year. For us, I think it speaks to the infrastructure around um, our portfolio, the strength of our people, um, and the delivery of promises that we've made in the past and now the opportunity ahead. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we've, we're very humbled by the great year and are already working towards trying to beat that record next year. But our transactional act activity this year alone has generated, you know, over a billion dollars of contractually obligated income. So we continue to set that future up where we're, you know, associating our AEG entities with great brands, um, leaders in their respective categories. And I think that is that is our job um, here within Global Partnerships. And it's a, you know, a commitment to continue to try to um, be excellent in that avenue. And we've certainly done it this year. And sports media rights and team values have just been on this ongoing upward trajectory. Is that trend part of what's driving your revenues? You know, I would say it, obviously that there's a, a factor of that that is, uh, but Owen, I would tell you that the the two biggest things that we have, I think, going for us and the momentum behind us hitting the numbers that Nick just uh, provided you, is the portfolio that we get to represent every day and the people that represent that portfolio within the global partnerships team. If you really dive into what those numbers are, um, you will see that we have obviously some great new partners that have come into the fold as of late. But the great story that we could tell is we've had a number of partners that have stayed with us for 10 plus years. They have renewed business with us. They see the value in AEG. They see the value in the assets that, that we represent uh, and the return on investment that we can provide them. Yeah, I think our, our differentiation is what as well has been, you know, around the fact that Global Partnerships exclusively sells and activates the entities that AEG wholly owns, meaning we're there for the entire process, you know, a 360 approach from initial conversation to initial contract and delivering on those elements and then the growth uh, of what, you know, can transpire within the rest of the portfolio, whether you're sponsoring a, a music asset, a sports asset, a venue, or even an access ticketing. And I think it's unique in our industry now to see kind of the same faces all the way along that process and not 
you know, an agency who's there for one aspect of it. And I think that's really what we hone in on and I think has allowed some success to generate from, from that type of structure. All right. Very interesting stuff. Nick Baker, Russell Silvers, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having us. That is it for today. Hit that subscribe button or drop us a rating or review wherever you are listening. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will see you tomorrow.